something that we um, maybe didn't mention. Uh, the uh, this coming, got to think about it for a moment. Friday, Friday is caroling. This coming Friday, we have an opportunity, as, she, as Susan mentioned, we have an opportunity to give of ourselves through singing. And uh, even even uh, some of you, if you if you want to come along and and hum or whatever you want to do, we want to be able to share and give to those those people. Um, at the nursing homes and to share in that way. Um, afterwards, the plan is to go over to our place. Um, we hope that all the things are, we, our whole big picture window is getting replaced this week. <laughs> so we, it may be cold is all I'm telling you. It may be windy through there. There may be some snowflakes that are coming through our front of our house. But the plan is this uh, Tuesday or Wednesday that they're taking that whole front end of our, off of our house. We had to wait until November. We, we wanted to. Um, try to get as close to December before we did this. You know, we didn't want to do it during the summertime when it's nice and warm. And <laughs> but uh, yeah, uh, yeah that, that's the, we didn't want any bugs to get in. So yeah. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, that whole front of our house is uh, it's already looking kind of scary. So you know, I don't know how Susan's going to get it all put back together before then, but uh, I imagine I might have some small part in that. Anyway, but we hope that you'll be able to come over afterwards and. And to share a little bit of pizza with us and um, your company, and um, and they are welcome to come if they can't for some reason come caroling. They can still come. Yeah. So we'll just have to sing at our house. <laughs> we're we're trying to invite you over. Um, by the way, I, thinking of some of that too, um, uh, because of the where where Christmas lands, we've been trying to work this out, and and this is one of the one of the ways we want to. Get together with you too, um, but because of where Christmas lies this year, it's on the 24th, so we're, we won't be having a, a Christmas Eve service this this uh, <coughs> this year uh, because of the way. What's that? Correct, but the Christmas Eve service, Christmas uh, service, is on the 24th on Sunday. The Christmas Eve day is the 24th, anyway. So we won't be having a Christmas Eve service as we have in the past, but um, but we did want to invite, get you over and and, and see you guys and uh, over at our house. And what better way to um, to thank the Lord for a new window at the same time? So uh, don't bring any rocks. Um, so well, no doubt. Uh, if you want to open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, John chapter twenty-one, we're in this. Uh, final uh, message of this series. Uh, kind of took a little break last week just to kind of honor our time of, of Thanksgiving and to think about the things that we have to be blessed, uh, that God has blessed <laughs> us with and that we have to be thankful for. Um, but John chapter 21, uh, the series that we've been in for, I don't know, three, four months uh, out of the book of John, looking at just the, the encounters that, uh, that many have had with Jesus and, and how that has come to play and and just uh, every every chapter of this gospel kind of coming face to face with those those individual moments when we can, in fact, stand up and, and, and look at and see what it means to to uh, to make that decision and have that encounter with Jesus Christ in our lives, and um, so we want to uh, conclude that this this series here today, um, looking at John and and we find ourselves in in this uh, passage where 
Um, I guess I, I look at this, and we talked a little bit about it in Sunday school, just I look at this as the, the ultimate of second chances that Peter has when, as we will read that passage here in just a few moments. No doubt that most of you have heard about the uh, uh, three UCLA basketball players who have had, uh, they were arrested in China. I don't know, this has been at least, a, this is probably a month ago now. Uh, but they were shoplifting. Here's these guys from UCLA over there uh, playing their, their uh, season opener against Georgia Tech. And, and in the midst of that, they um, became an embarrassment to not only the UCLA, to the college that they were representing, but also to, to uh, you know, the United States. And at the time, uh, President Trump was over in, in that area and, and stuff. But after they had uh, been arrested, they were... They were detained by the Chinese authorities, and and uh, the rest of the team uh, went uh, or returned home. And it was actually speculated that um, they could have, if convicted, they could have faced up to as much as 10 years in jail for their crimes. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, they're stuck in China for 10 years, and and it would have been perfectly legitimate for that, for the Chinese government to do something like that. Um, you know basing on their own laws and how they, how they deal with that kind of stuff. And, but as you know, the U.S. government actually intervened, and, uh, they were, and they're now back at home. And, and, and even though they've been suspended, uh, they say for an indefinite or un, undetermined amount of time, they're still awaiting some sort of, maybe that's over, I don't know. Um, haven't been following it too closely, uh, I guess. But it seems like to me, at least the last I heard, is that they're waiting for some sort of a review by the university. But you have to admit that these three individuals, that these three young basketball players have been giving some sort of a second chance at life. Um, can you imagine being detained over there for 10 years, um, as I said before? Um, given a second chance to come back here, and basically what they've, they've got is maybe a little bit of uh, humiliation and a, and, and, a, and a slap on the wrist. But I think of that story, and I think of uh, I think of other stories. I don't know if you know this, but there's actually a there's a, a website that is uh, devoted to the success stories of people who have been in the in the juvenile court system, and they've uh, individuals who have been picked up and, and put into the court system and, and have been serving some time, and they've committed uh, some various crimes, and and they actually have uh, been given. Uh, through that, they've been actually given a, an opportunity to, to start over uh, in the midst of that. And, and the website actually highlights some of the successes of that program where, um, actually it would be great if you, if you ever want to just look that up sometime. I should have gotten the website on you. Um, but I've, I've been on that and I've seen that and it's an amazing story of how, how people, here's these juveniles and some of them high profile people who have... Uh, who have done something really stupid when they were young and, and, and could have been uh, in really, really bad trouble, have been given a second chance, and then they followed them throughout their lives and found out that these people have become very successful and grateful and thankful and, and have become responsible circumstances. But it's all about, it's about uh, second chances. And I think that in light of, I think of that in light of what we're about as Christian people. And I wonder, you know, maybe... If we shouldn't, uh, if there shouldn't be some kind of a, a website about second chances uh, for, for us and uh, where we simply would rehearse our own second chances and our own success stories um, that we might have. 
Um, you know, there's a lot of words for, for that, isn't there? You think about in the world of golfing, there's, uh, the word is what? What is it? Mulligan. In the world of golfing, you know, that's what it is. It's a second chance. It's a, you get a second, maybe a third shot, you know, at hitting the ball. Uh, do-overs, sometimes we call them. Or, you know, it's, but it's the idea of second chances. And I think that's, that is what exactly is in our text today. Second chances is, in fact, I think that what we're going to see in this text, uh, what we're going to see about Peter is simply this, is that when, we, when you meet Jesus, he provides you with complete renewal. Anybody ever experienced that? Say yes. When you meet Jesus, you, expe- you experience or Jesus provides complete renewal. Second chance, start over, do it again. Back in the earlier life of Jesus, or of Peter, just days actually ahead of, of this here particular passage of Scripture, um, he was heard to have made this statement recorded in Mark chapter 14. He said, even if all will fall away, I will never leave you. Or in John's gospel, in John and cha- gospel, uh, in, in, in chapter 13, verse 37, he says, I will lay down my life for you. Um, we all recall what happened immediately after that, don't we, right? Um, after Jesus is re- arrested, Peter follows Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. And when, it, when asked if he knew Jesus not once, not twice, but three times, each time Peter said, no, I am not this man's disciple. I'm not that man's disciple. But didn't I see you in the olive grove with you? No, that wasn't me. And at that moment, the rooster began to crow. Well, he made the public announcement, though they all will leave you, I never will. I will die for you. And then before the night's over, three times he says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this man. And so now we come to post-resurrection. John chapter 21, the text for this morning. Uh, But you're going to see hints of those stories in this text. Verse number 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went, and went where you went, wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumor spread among the brothers 
that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Three denials, three questions, three commissions. I think that, I really think that there's a pattern there. There's a reason why he asked him three times, do you love me? I think it has something to do with the fact that three times he was asked, do you know me? And in each case, he denied that possibility that he did, in fact, know Jesus. And yet, here he is one more time, standing with Jesus around this charcoal fire, having breakfast of fish, and Jesus is giving him a second, third, in Peter's case, fourth, uh, and I don't know, fifth opportunity to do what is right. And in commissioning him with some kind of purpose, it says something to me, this uh, passage, it says something about renewal, about getting to start over. I, I think that among them, it, it, it says this to us. It says that remo- renewal means facing our failures. It means facing our failures. I, that, that's really what Peter has to do. And I think that that has a great deal to do with why uh, Peter is upset the third time that Jesus says, do you love me? Because he's brought face to face with his own failures. He's brought face to face with the reality of, of, of the fact that he did in fact deny Jesus three times in stark reminder of that failure. Do you ever notice how hard it is to let people fail? Anybody? Yeah? I mean, I th- I, I, certainly parents know the difficulty of that, and certainly we you know, have other circumstances, but you know, I think about it as a parent when the first gut response is to do everything that we can right, to rescue our children, to, to keep them out of trouble. Uh, think again, the UCLA situation, you know, what would we do as a parent to try to get them out of trouble? Uh, and, and yet, you know, you think about some of the most important decisions that we as parents make or in other circumstances that we ever make, it, our decisions to allow people or to allow our, our own children to suffer the consequences of their own actions. Uh, Bruce Naramore has written a book called Help, I'm a parent. <laughs> but it's a book about ch- child raising, and it's gone through some, several revisions over the years, but uh, it's, uh, it's a classic. But he talks about national, natural consequences. For example, he talks about children in the bathtub eating soap. <laughs> and he says, you know, as long as it doesn't hurt them, you know, let them. And I, I think about that as a parent, you know, when I was, my kids were little, it's like, we don't want them eating soap, Right. Um, of course, I, I do believe that once or twice they may have had to have that bar in their mouth. Um, so maybe, maybe it wasn't uh, something that I didn't think was such a bad idea. But, but you know, but here's the point. Children only eat soap once, right? <laughs> I think. Uh, we're still experimenting with that. But it seems to me that that seems to be the, the, t- the trend. They tend to learn from the consequences of their actions. And in in fact, if they don't have that freedom to learn something about the consequences of their action when they're young, 
they tend not to take seriously the consequences for their actions when they get a bit older. And, and, and I think some of you know what that's like. Uh, uh, you know, to place the suitcase at the front door and say, you know, listen, if that's the way that you're going to behave, then there's the door, you know. And, and when you're ready to obey, you know, you can come back. Um, that, that, that actually happened to me, by the way. I'm not proud of it. But it forced uh, me to own up to the fact uh, that, that I was, in fact, wrong. But I, I think it's hard, isn't it? Nobody wants to admit that they are, in fact, guilty. Uh, by the way, just for clarification, it happened when I was young, when I was a teenager, not recently um, at my home. Just thought maybe you might want to know that. Um, anyway, it, it's, it's hard, though, because nobody wants to admit that they are, in fact, guilty. I think about something. I was just thinking about this this week, about Nate several years ago, and he probably doesn't like me to tell you this story, but the fact that, I don't know if you remember when you went to the emergency room because you'd hurt your elbow, and do you remember that? And we took him, and does anybody remember me talking about that, or did I share that with you at the time? He, um, he, had, he came home from school, and he'd fallen off of something, and he hurt his elbow, and, and, and he was holding it like this as he came home. And, and Susan went to touch it, and he said, oh, and then he just the tears, and he'd scream and holler, screaming and hollering, and, uh, and we could hardly touch it. And, and, and when I came home, um, Susan said, well, I think Nate's got a problem with his elbow. I think we should take him into the emergency room. I said, oh, he's fine. He probably just bumped it or something like that. And so I went over to touch him, and he's like, oh, and you couldn't even hardly touch him. He was just screaming and hollering, and I thought, well, we'll give him a little bit of time still. Because it just didn't seem like, and I, I did, was able to kind of do this. And he cried, and he cried, and he cried. And um, anyway, long story short, we did end up taking him to the emergency room. And we got him in there, and it, the, the, the lady there it was, did the same thing. As soon as he tried to touch it, well, he'd start to scream and holler and cry and everything else. We took him, then, then they decided, well, this is pretty serious. We better give him some x-rays. They couldn't even get his arm leaned out on the, on the x-ray machine. He wouldn't let him do it. He just, it, was, it was too painful for him to even open up his arms. Nurse went out of the room, and I just said, you know, um, this has probably gone on long enough. And I think that you really, you know, I'm just going to let you know what they're going to do. They're gonna, and I started to explain to him a little bit. I embellished it a little bit. But... You know, how they're going to have surgery on his elbow and everything else and everything else. And the nurse came in and, because I kind of caught on that there was something else going on here. But anyway, the nurse comes in and, and she goes, well, let's see that elbow. And he goes, oh, it's better now. <laughs> um, but do you know how hard it is sometimes to get somebody, I mean, it was, it was like, really hard to try to get him to admit. But I mean, that, that's the same thing is true of us, isn't it? To try to get somebody to admit, even in light of the fact that they are obviously guilty, that they are in fact guilty. <laughs> and yet if you want to have second chances, guess what happens to, has to happen first? What has to happen? There has to come the acknowledgement that I am in fact wrong. And that's where Peter is. Peter has come face to the face with the fact that he indeed did fail. 
And, but, but not only in this text is, is there that face-to-face uh, -face with failure, but there is also the fact that we accept our future. Renewal means accepting our future. Uh, you certainly notice that in the text as Peter is listening to Jesus and he says that there was, was a day in your life, he, he sa Jesus says there was a day in your life when you took care of yourself, but there's a coming a day when you won't be able to. Somebody else, he says, will stretch out your hand. Renewal, I think, is a hard thing. And allowing somebody else to control your future, I think, is even a harder thing to, is even a harder thing. And yet, here, here it is, Peter is given something to do out there in the future somewhere based upon the fact that he's willing to let Jesus remodel his life. Did you notice that? It's three questions. Do you love me? It's three responses. Yes, I do. But after each response is a very specific statement. Peter, here is the work that I have for you to do. Here it is. And I think it's, a it's, it's the, mark, um, the mark of renewal. To, to have something that you plug yourself into that demonstrates that this is in fact a new chance. Can you imagine Peter in our victim-oriented society? Can you imagine? You know, well, well, you know, it really wasn't my fault that I denied you. You know, I mean, my, my mother was like that, you know, right? Always denying things. It, it, it really wasn't my fault that I denied you. It was, after all, the circumstances. I mean, here... Here it was, cold, it was night, I was around a fire, there's a bunch of people around there. I mean, they just wouldn't have understood if I would have stood up for you. I'm sure that, that Peter could have used the excuse of being an uneducated fisherman. That's why he didn't have what it took to stand up and to do the thing that God had called him to do. And so instead, he denied Jesus. But Jesus comes back to him and says, I want you to have something to do. Something to do with meaning. I want you to take care of my sheep. I want you to lead into the future. And so Peter is given this, this enormous task of being a shepherd of God's sheep, giving, given a purpose uh, in, in, in the second go-around. See, I have a sneaking suspicion that, that God is calling all of us here at New Life. To, to that kind of a second start. But, but I also suspect that some of us have, have convinced ourselves that, that because of the life that we used to live or because of something in our past that we, we can't make a contribution to God's kingdom. I mean, after all, who would want us, right? And, and the answer to that question is very simple. Jesus would. Jesus want, does want us. He, just like he, wanted, like he wanted Peter, he wants people to realize when they have been forgiven that they have also been renewed, totally, allowed to start over. But it's, it's just a remarkable story of renewal. Some of you have met my friend Greg. I know I've talked to him about Greg quite a bit maybe uh, here from time to time. But Greg is 35 years old, still single. Um, uh, per our last conversation, I think that uh, maybe just discovered that uh, he may not be single for very long. First time to get married. Um, but I have never seen a guy more 
bubbly, more excited about being a Christian than, than Greg. Um, and I have absolute confidence that, that, that he would do anything for anyone this, in this room if it, if it involved, if it meant helping them come closer to Jesus. I have no, no doubts that, that, that he would be like that. Now, um, I also have another friend. I got more than two friends that I'm just mentioning two this morning. But I do have another friend named Matt. In fact, a couple of weeks ago when I was up hunting, um, Matt's, Matt's just an incredible guy. He's a welder for the union. Um, he calls me up, and he'd spent most of the summer up at our cabin because he was wel- uh, welding uh, a couple of those pipelines uh, from, uh, they brought it from Superior, Wisconsin. There was a 13-mile stretch to bring it over to Duluth. Um, there was a 13-mile stretch. So he stayed at our cabin and worked up there for eight weeks doing that massive pipes, uh, bringing the oil through. And, um, anyway, he calls me up just before hunting, and I, he says, yeah, I wanted to go up to your cabin. He says, because there was a little welding job that I wanted to done on one of the doors up there for a pump house. And he goes, um, he goes, I, yeah, he says, I want to go up and do that. I said, you're just taking a trip up for that? I said, what, what are you, you're just going up there just to weld that, and you're going home? Yeah, that's all he's going to do. Drive up there uh, from from Beloit. That's uh, eight nine hours, right? <laughs> eight hours? No, seven eight hours. That's what he's doing. So he goes up. Uh, as well, you know what? We're going up there too, and so why don't we meet you up there? And you know, we'll we'll have supper and all that stuff, and you can go back the next day and stuff. So anyway, we met Matt up there. Matt is totally sold out to Christ. He's that kind of. And, and if you've ever had a chance to meet you. I have no doubt that your conversations will inevitably turn to the truth of God's Word. And that in itself is really a remarkable thing to me because Matt, he isn't much of a reader. He really isn't. He, he, there, but there's one book that he reads faithfully every day and has staked his life on, and that is God's Word. I could list more. I could list. Uh, I could talk about my Fred Adam. I could talk about uh, uh, Tammy. I could talk about Tracy. I mean, but I am confident that if you were to trace, uh, if you were to meet any of them, that they would uh, strike you as being genuinely, deeply committed Christians, and at the same time, you would have no reason to believe that they have all lived a lifetime of sin. But in fact, their lives are full of junk. It's full of tragedy, full of horrid, absolutely horrid choices. And, and yet the oddity of that is, you see, it, it's not written on any of them. They don't have a little mark on their forehead that says sinner. It's not there. When you see them, when you look at them, all you see is this bright character. And if you were to hear their stories, you would just, you'd find yourself going, you know, I don't believe that. Is that really true? And it is. But the truth of the matter is it's been taken care of. And they have come to the place in their life where they're ready to say, you know, I want to do whatever it is that God wants me to do. And I think that's true for all of us. The only people who know about our past, who know about what, what we may or may not be like are the people that are looking at us right in the mirror. Because the rest of us, when we see each other, we only see what has become, not what used to be. 
And see, the remarkable thing is that when, when it comes to making a difference for God's kingdom, well, none of us are really worthy, are we? Not a, not a single one of us is worthy. And yet it isn't about worth. It's about grace. It's, it's about second chances. It's about allowing God to work in our lives. And see, that was Peter's difficulty, was facing up to the very fact that, that, that he may have to take his hands off of his own future. I mean, here's the imagery. Somebody else is going to hold your hands. Somebody else will dress you. In fact, one earlier church writer reminds us that Peter was, in fact, following Jesus to, the, to, to death, crucified, only upside down. Because Peter, in fact, didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner that his Lord Jesus was crucified. But somebody else took his hands and stretched them out. So I think it means facing our future. A a any of you who have ever done, um, if you've ever remodeled your house, you know what, what it takes. Uh, you know that it takes longer than you'd hoped, right? You know that it costs you more than it's ever planned, than you ever planned for it. You know that it makes a bigger mess than you ever thought possible. But I think that that's the way that Christian renewal is, too. It's more costly than you've ever expected. It makes a bigger mess than you've ever planned for, and it will probably take longer than you ever hoped for. But you will be renewed. That's the message of this text. Three denials, three questions, three commissions, given a task to do, but it's also this. And maybe this more than anything else. It means trusting in Jesus. Peter's concerned. I, I just find this so odd as I look at this, this text here. But it, maybe you caught it as it went by. Peter's concerned about what's going to happen to John. Did you notice that? Did you see that? He's, he's, he's concerned. He turns around him, around behind him, and he sees that John is following, listening to the conversation between Peter and Jesus. And he says, well, what about him? <laughs> Jesus says, what? Don't worry about him. If he lives until I return again, that's my business. You, Peter, be concerned about you. You, he says, you keep following me. But see, isn't that the nature of it? I think that oftentimes we are concerned about what somebody else may have in their past or, or in their future or in their experience. I wonder how many times that I've sat through, I've said my, you know, I sat through a sermon and said to myself, you know, oh, I sure wish that so-and-so were here to listen to this sermon. They really need that. I see some smiles. You've said that before. <laughs> I suspected I wasn't alone in that. Now everybody's doing this. Right? But see, if that's the trend, if that's what we normally do, I think we're missing the point. Because the command of Jesus is that you follow me, that you follow me, you trust me. And it's a challenge. It's a challenge to, to keep on following, isn't it? To, 
to allow the renewal to occur because you line up your life after Jesus and you follow. And you keep following. For four months we have been looking at the Gospel of John and just, just really trying to say, here's Jesus, take a look at him. He turns water into wine. He meets with leaders at night. He takes fish and loaves and he feeds thousands. He walks on water. He calls himself the bread of life, the water of life, the resurrection and the life. And we've simply tried to say, just take a look at him. But you remember what he said? If I be lifted up, I love that passage. I, I think that that's a, a key verse within that whole book, other than the one that we just read at the end of this chapter where she says, you know, if I, I suppose if, 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 if all of the things of Jesus were recorded and, and, and were, were to be put down, we'd have to, there wouldn't be enough books to contain that. But this is another one that I think that is very valuable to remember throughout this book because I think that that's really a part of what this is about as, all, as well. When he says, if I be lifted up, do you remember what he says? I will draw all men unto myself. And so my prayer is very simple, that we will, as a church, choose to simply elevate Jesus every single day of our lives. Because I believe that when we do that, that he will draw those people around us, that he'll draw the people that are in our lives, he will draw them to himself. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for second chances, for new opportunities to, to be renewed, uh, opportunities to be renewed and, and made uh, more closely into the likeness of Jesus. And Father, may that be our goal. May we, may we just... Uh, make up our minds and be determined uh, to, uh, to follow you with everything that we have and to put aside anything around us that might keep us from being totally committed to you. God, I know that's a big step for some of us, uh, for me in particular. It's, it's a big step to be able to say, you know what, um, every single nail above the doorpost of my heart is going to be uh, a place that I'm going to hang something that, that will, be, will show my commitment to you. I'm not going to let somebody else have charge of my heart. And Father, I just pray that, that you would give all of us that courage um, to not get distracted by the so many things that are, that are out there in this world that, that are pulling us in and making us divided. Uh, help us to be united on one thing and one thing alone on the person of Jesus in a relationship with him. And that is my prayer, Father, that we would lift you up so that you might have that opportunity to draw all men unto yourself. Help us to do that as a church, as individuals. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.